Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. We're going to start a new series today, uh, really around the mission of City Reach. And part of our name, City Reach, is the word reach. And it's always been about, if you look on our website, our Facebook page, Every document that we produce says that we exist, our mission at this church is to reach the one that is far from God and help them become a passionate follower of Jesus. Let's say that. Reach the one who is far from God and help them become a passionate follower of Jesus. So we get our PowerPoint up here. I want to give credit to David. Pastor David did the design for me today. Isn't that great? I could never do that. Thank God for his gifts. So what I want to do is I want to look at a few over the next few weeks. I'm I'm, going to start this teaching series on different times when Jesus actually reached out to one person. Because, you know, a lot of times we think, well, I'd like to speak to a small group or, or, or preach to a stadium or whatever it is. But but Jesus, more times than not, reached the one, reached to a small group, whatever it might be. But I, so I want to look at some stories, especially from the book of John, and just look at how Jesus reached the one, what he did, what he said, how he ministered, and what can we learn from that so we can be a b- bigger impact in our community, in our families, in our jobs, everywhere that we are. So I think what happens a lot of times, especially given the nature of our ministry here, we focus, we, 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 we do a lot of things as it pertains to deliverance, people that are in bondage to something or they're addicted to something, and we work with them and, and allow the, the favor and the grace of God and the power of God to, to bring deliverance to their life. And we see people physically healed. We feed the poor. We reach out to the homeless. But the first story we're going to look at today is about the new birth being born again, because I think what happens a lot of times is we might feed the poor or feed the hungry. We might provide shelter to the homeless. We might bring healing to somebody that's physically sick. We might be the agent that brings deliverance to somebody that's been addicted. But if we don't introduce them to Jesus and see that they become not just a follower of Jesus, but a child of God, we've made no eternal impact. We made an impact now, but they could be healed and still going to hell. They could be delivered and still going to hell. They, they, they could be hung, hungry and now they're fed and still going to hell. And I think, of, you know, and we think about it, we don't like to talk about hell a lot. And I don't, I don't preach on hell. I'm not going to preach on hell today. Uh, but I, I do recall the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He says that broad is the way and wide is the gate that leads to destruction in many go that way. And that narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to a life and few are that find it. And I mean, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out that many is more than few. And I believe that less people will be in heaven than more people will be in hell. And so it's always on my heart that people are dying and don't know Jesus. So I want to look today at a story, uh, probably a familiar story. I don't think I've ever preached from John chapter 3 before, but we're going to look at the story of Nicodemus. And so we're going to look at these, these times when Jesus reached out to one. We have Nicodemus 
In John chapter 3, we have the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman in John 4. We have the man at the pool of Bethesda in John 5. Uh, we have the, the, um, the woman that was caught in the act of adultery in John 8. And we may go with the guy that was born blind in John 9. I don't know. I haven't really figured it all out yet, but those are some of my thoughts as we move forward into this series. But I know today I want to start with the thing that Jesus says to Nicodemus. He says, you must be born again. He says, you must be born again. It's not just a, uh, a suggestion. He's not saying, well, this will be a good idea if you're born again, or, or I strongly suggest it. He says, it's essential, it's necessary. And he goes on in the text, he says that if you're going to ever see or experience the things of the kingdom, you've got to be born again. And if you're ever going to go to and enter heaven, if you're ever going to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. So that it's, it's probably needs to be our priority as a church. All those other things we do, I love. I love to do all those things. But if, if you leave this world and don't have a relationship with Jesus, I feel like we've lost the game. I don't ever want to see anybody go to hell, and neither does God. So let's look at this today. So here's what I like about this. Jesus often takes a physical example and applies it to a spiritual example. Or there's a parallel between the spiritual and the natural. So, start off with this question. How many have ever been born? Okay, if you don't have your hand up, you may want to go home right now. <laughs> or I could call the Massey unit or the finance center. You know, maybe we need to check you in for a few days. So Jesus starts with this example of birth. Everybody, if you're here, has been born. You've experienced birth. So here's what I know about, about birth is not every, I, I saw all three of my kids, I have three great kids, I saw every one of their births. But not every birth was the same. And, and so I think what happens a lot of times when we're talking to people about Jesus and the, the necessity of having a relationship with him, maybe we read something one time called The Romans Road, or maybe we read something, a booklet on how to witness to people, and we try to to like force march people through the steps to salvation. And I've made that mistake myself. But there's no exact way to get from point A to point B. You just need to get there. And so sometimes forcing people through, it's not the way to do it, but just like my kids, they've all, they all, all born, I saw them all be birthed, but the birth was a little bit different on each one. You know the only common thing when my kids were born? Here we go. You ready for this? I feel like every woman turns into an addict right on the day that the kid's coming. Give me drugs! Like, sweet Kristen, give me drugs! Never said it before in her life. That's the only, that's the only thing that was similar between all three. It was, give me drugs! But you think about this, and I, I, I have no idea. I'd probably be saying something worse than that because the thought of what happens, I, I just... Can't fathom it. I really appreciate you ladies. But if you think about it, what did you do to be born? You did nothing. You played no active role in your birth. And if you want to just take this whole teaching and say the crux of it is this, just like you did not play an active role in being born physically, you don't play an active role 
in being born spiritually. That you are born because of the work of somebody else. See, when you're born physically, you're born because of the work of a father and a mother. Now, now when my kids were born, I played a little role, right? I had a role, but my wife had a much bigger role. She went through the, 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 the gestation period and, and, and the labor and the give me drugs day and, and, and all that. And, and then the after effects of all that, I, I just kind of, you know, I don't know. I, I, sometimes I feel like, man, you, know, you really got to deal with a lot, too. It's tough. Uh, oh, it says, uh, no idea. But the, the point is, is that in your physical birth, you, you didn't play an active role. You participated, you were born because of somebody else's efforts. And the same is true in the spiritual realm, too, is, is you don't play an active role in being born again. It's nothing ever based on what you do. It's always you participating in the work that somebody else did, and that is Jesus, what he did for you. So we're going to look at this guy today, um, Nicodemus. What do we know about Nicodemus? Anybody? He was a, man, do not Pharisees get like a bad rap sometimes? Like every time we talk about Pharisees, oh, look at them, bunch of hypocrite Pharisees, right? Well, let's just take a step back for a minute. So we have this guy, Nicodemus, and, and what we know, so if, you're, if you want to read along, we're in John chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 17. Oh, I guess I should tell the, this. Three points of the message. If you want to write these down. I want to, once we get through this, I want to give you three things that are, I'm going to call them the effects of the new birth. Now, this may not be all of them, but there's three things I want to talk about that are the effects of the new birth. One is you get a new nature. Two is you get new desires. And three is you get a new identity. The new birth brings about this, a new nature, new desires, and a new identity. So what we know about, about this guy, Nicodemus, now, first of all, let me tell you this. His name, the name Nicodemus, it means victor or victory of the people. It's actually somebody that achieves victory who's a conqueror, and it has to do with people. And so if there's anybody that can really represent everyone, it's this guy. He's a guy that has everything in order. He's got his stuff. He's got all the boxes checked. He's done everything you can possibly do to think that you could make it to heaven. And so we know a few things about this. A, he's a Pharisee. I'll talk to you about that in just a second. He's also a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin at the time would be like the Supreme Court. So they're like the ruling uh, body of, over the Jews. They're, they're the ones that are making decisions on the law and things like that. We also know that he was, Jesus calls him later in this text, he says, you are the teacher of the Jews. So we know that he was well-educated, he was well-respected, he was a very studied man, not just a teacher, but Jesus refers to him as the teacher. And we also know when you look at the very end of uh, John, it says that, that Nicodemus was the guy that went with Joseph of Arimathea, and they brought, I think it was 100 pounds of spices and aloes to anoint the body of Jesus at Jesus' death to prepare him for burial. Very costly, very expensive, so uh, he was also a very wealthy person. So here we have a guy, he's a Pharisee, he's a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling party. He's also uh, well-read, well-respected, well-educated, and really well-off, or is a man of means. And so these Pharisees, man, they get a bad rap. Here's why. So at the time, there's like 6,000, about 6,000 Pharisees at the time. But if, if you had to picture somebody, they would be like the, if, if you had in your mind like the best church-going person, 
I want you to picture that. That's what they would be like. They'd be like the person that did all the right stuff. So if you, to be a Pharisee, you had to memorize Scripture. Anybody ever memorized Scripture before? Oh my gosh, we need to work on Scripture, <laughs> scripture memorization. Well, what they would do, they not only had to read the first five books of the Bible, guess what they memorized? They memorized the first five books of the Bible, all 187 chapters, verbatim. If you were going to be a Pharisee, you had to tithe on not just your income, but on even the spices that grew in your garden. This guy was a tither. He tithed on everything. Pharisees fasted twice a week, which is probably twice more than any of us do. They were fasters. They tithed, they memorized scripture, and they actually believed in God. These were God-believing people. They just didn't have it all yet, but they were doing everything they knew to do to get to heaven. They were, they were ambitious on keeping the law, and they, they just wanted to do everything right. And so as we read the Gospels, they get a bad rap, but, but at, at that time, until Jesus came on the scene, these guys really... I mean, they were doing everything they could do to live right. And so I think if, if you want to think of anybody that, that you may ever talk to that thinks they can do something to get to heaven, do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on Mount? He says, unless your righteousness or your good works in that place exceeds that of the Pharisees, you'll never go to heaven. And then Jesus goes on to say that you actually can't ever, even if you did better than that, at your best, it still isn't good enough. It's got to be perfection. That's God's standard. And when Paul says that we uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the glory of God is Jesus. Jesus is the perfect standard. We all fall short of that. And so there's nothing you can ever do if you memorize the whole Bible, if you gave 100% of your income, if you fasted every day of the week, if you came to church every day of the week and prayed every day of the week, and it still wouldn't get you there. It still wouldn't get you there because at the end of the day, Jesus says you have to be born again. That's it. Now, all those other things are good, and I want you to do those, but if you miss this one thing, you're going to miss it for eternity. And so let's read this. Here we go. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, So, if you look back in John chapter 2, it says that Jesus had, had been performing miracles in Jerusalem. And so these guys are seeing this. And if you think about it, they had not seen miracles probably in their entire life. They had only read of the prophets in the Old Testament that, that did miracles. And, and they, they knew historically that when somebody was anointed by God, the miraculous was the result. And I'm sure here comes Nicodemus to Jesus and he's thinking, okay, I've got this in order, and this in order, and this in order, and this in order, and I do this, and I fast this, and I give this. I wonder if Jesus, he's obviously from God, because nobody could do the things he does unless God was with him. Maybe he could help me be a little better. Maybe he could give me some pointers on what I need to do to be just a little litty. Shall I throw that in? Right, he was already lit, now he wants to be litty. I actually had to look that word up in the Urban Dictionary, I'll be honest with you. So when it said Liddy in the city, I'm like, I'm over 50. I don't know what Liddy means. Anybody know what Liddy means? 
Oh, look at this. I'm not the only one. Urban Dictionary is my friend. Anybody know what lit means? Hey, it's popping. It's awesome. Right? Lit tea is when it's just like a little better than. Right? So that's what, here's Nicodemus. He's, he said, I'm already lit. I want to be litty. I just need a little extra. And he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. No one can do the signs you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you're born again, he cannot see, you can't experience, you can't perceive the things of God. So, so he's coming and he's wanting to, he recognizes the supernatural in Jesus. And Jesus said, being born again is more than recognizing the supernatural in somebody else. It's becoming a miracle yourself. And if you're going to ever perceive the things that happen in the spirit realm, it starts with a a supernatural miracle happening in you. And so, let me just take a little sidebar for a minute. If we know that people can't perceive the things of the kingdom unless they're born again, why do we argue with unbelievers? Why do we protest unbelievers? Why do we try to convince them that the way we think is right? Because Jesus tells us right here, unless they're born again, they're not going to get it. Wouldn't it make sense to share the gospel first and see them get born again? And then you can talk to them about why they shouldn't do what they do. Let the Holy Spirit do that. That's what He does. But Jesus says, if you're not born again... You can't perceive it. You can't understand it. Matter of fact, you're not even going to get in. And so he goes on to say, next slide. He says, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Obviously, he doesn't get it, right? So Jesus says, hey, everything you've done, that's great. But unless you're born again, you're not going to perceive and you're not going to get in the kingdom of God. And he says, Okay, I'm an old man. What am I going to do? This? Right? He's literally thinking, am I going to swim back up in there and then come back out? How's that going to work? It's not. And Jesus, you know, Jesus, he kind of plays along. He humors him. You know, he gets it. It's It's just going over his head at this point. And Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, let me just stop right there, because some people will teach what's called baptismal regeneration. Regeneration is just a big theological term for being born again or new birth. We do not believe that you are saved or regenerated or made new by water. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. Now, in context, I believe if you use contextual uh, exit. Jesus drawing out of the context what it says, the fact that that Nicodemus thinks it's physical birth, and then in the next verse, Jesus says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. I believe the water is just that, the physical birth, right? How many ever had experience where you don't make it to the hospital? What happens? The water, I've never experienced that, but I I drove the car once. I was the guy who's like, don't get that on the seat. Put a towel down first. MOCD kicked in. It was bad. That, that's not what you want to say to your wife when the water breaks. <laughs> that, that's like the worst thing to say. Don't get that on the seat. 
Now, you could also scripturally, you can make an argument that, that he's talking about being born of the water and of the spirit. Some people will say it applies to the word of God, that Jesus washes you with the water of the word. Uh, doesn't matter if you, want to, if you want to believe that. I think it just pertains to physical birth. I'm a little more simple. But you can certainly believe it that it's pertaining to washing of the water of the word. But Jesus says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel, I say, that you must be born again. So he's saying, look, the same way that you were born physically by water and physically came into this realm, that when you get born again spiritually, you're now birthed into a different realm. And you can't get into the spirit realm if you're only born physically. The only way to get into the physical realm is with physical birth. The way to get into the spirit realm is through spiritual birth. He says it's essential. They don't mix. You can't like have this and this. You have to be born of the spirit to be in the kingdom of God. Next slide. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but it cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes, since so is everyone born of the Spirit. So let me just stop there. So what he's saying is like, look, when somebody is born of the Spirit, and he uses a different term, born, uh, born again or uh, born of the Spirit, he says, when somebody's born of the Spirit, you may not understand the way it works. D does anybody here literally understand all the inner workings of, of a baby being formed in the womb? I don't. But I know babies are born, right? I know how to make babies. I know how to like birthday. I don't know what happens in the middle. Somewhat of a mystery. And he's saying, you may not understand it all because just like the wind, he says, you don't know where the wind comes from or where it goes. But what you see is you see the effects of the wind. You, you see the trees moving. You see the leaves swirling. And you can see that there's evidence that wind is there but you don't necessarily know where it came from or where it's going to end up. And he's saying, once you've been born again and once you've been born of the Spirit, there's going to be some discernible things in your life that are going to be evidence that that change took place. You may not see it, you may not completely understand it, but there's going to be some evidence that, that you can base that on. And he says, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know, and we testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. So Jesus says, look, if I'm giving you an earthly example, so he's taking natural birth and comparing it to spiritual birth. And he says, if you can't understand that, if you can't understand the thing that has a parallel between the natural and the spiritual realm, how are you going to understand when I eventually tell you things that have no parallel in the natural realm? Which tells me there's things in the spirit realm that don't actually have a parallel in the natural. Now, in this case, it is. And he says, but this is base one. If you don't understand this one, how are we going to move on to more complex things that take you to, to believe what I'm saying without actually giving you a parallel and something you're used to seeing and, and, and experiencing on your own. And so let's just finish this passage. It says, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son, must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Anybody ever heard that verse before? So Jesus refers back to a story in the Old Testament here. You can find it in Numbers chapter 21. We're not going to read it. But if you remember, the people of Israel, they spoke out against Moses, and they spoke out against God, and it said God sent fiery serpents into the camp, and it bit, started biting people. These serpents were started biting people. And the people started dying. And the people went to Moses and said, Moses, pray for us that God will take away the serpents. And guess what God didn't do? He didn't take away the serpents. But he told Moses, he says, I want you to put a bronze serpent on a pole, and I want you to put it up for people to look at. And he says, whoever looks at that bronze serpent will live. Now, it doesn't take much effort to look at a bronze serpent. I mean, you could do it without moving your head or your body. But see, what the serpents represented is the bite that infected people is the bite that you get infected with sin when you're born. See, the Apostle Paul tells us that because Adam sinned, that sin passed on you. So that when you were born, you inherited that sin nature. It says, by one man, sin entered the earth, and death by sin, and therefore by one man, uh, or thereby death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Uh, Romans 5.12. So, he, what he says, he says, if you hold that pole up, and he make, takes a serpent, and he makes it out of bronze. Bronze represented judgment. And so the picture that would eventually picture Jesus would be that Jesus would become sin for us. He becomes the serpent on the pole. He becomes sin for us. And bronze, which represents judgment, means that God poured all his judgment out on Jesus. And so that when Jesus is on the cross, it says that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So that as he's on the cross, he literally takes your sin, my sin, every sin from Adam until the end of time, and takes it on himself. And then God pours out his wrath and his judgment on his son Jesus. In the same way that Moses could hold that pole up in the middle of the camp and it said, whoever looked will live, the same thing translates through to Jesus that when he paid for your sin, everyone who believes will live. You don't have to go to church, although we'd like you to. You don't have to tithe, although we'd like you to. You don't have to fast and pray and, and do all those things, although those are great things. You just got to believe. And you got to put your faith and trust in what he did. And he says the moment you do that, God imparts his very life into you. That you have God's life in you. See, it says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. See, everlasting life isn't, doesn't start when you go to heaven. Do you realize that? Everlasting life starts the day that you accept Jesus. 
See, when Jesus is praying in John chapter 17, it says in verse 3, it says, this is life eternal. So now he's going to define what eternal life is. He says, this is life eternal, that they may know you, which is the Father, and Jesus whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing. That word knowing means having intimacy with. Eternal life is actually having a relationship with Jesus. And that starts immediately. See, it's not, eternal life is not living forever. Because you'll live forever somewhere. You're either going to spend eternity with Him or, or not with Him. You're already going to live forever. It's just whether you're going to live in eternal life or you're going to participate in eternal death, which is separation from God. All right, let's go through these quickly. So I, want, I just want to give you some, a few things because of the new birth. So John, who wrote the book of John, also writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And there's some things that he tells us. He's really only the one that writes about the new birth uh, to, the, to the degree that, um, that he does. But I just want to give you a couple things that are going to be different. All right. So when you're born, remember I said when you're born, the, the sin nature that, that Adam had passed to her, his kids, to his kids, to their kids, to their kids, all the way to your mom and dad, and right to you. And that you were born with an old nature, a sin nature, with a propensity to sin. And when you get born again or participate in the new birth, you get a new nature. So a lot of people say, well, I'm just an old sinner. Well, if you're still an old sinner, then you don't have a new nature. If you got a new nature, then you're not an old sinner. Now, you still might sin once in a while, but Jesus literally replaces your nature. Anybody ever hear of uh, DNA? Oh, you better. What's DNA? Other than deoxyribonucleic acid. That's not the answer. But DNA is the building block of, of, of it, it determines your, your character and your nature and, and whether you have brown hair or, or, or black skin or, or you're uh, Chinese or, or whatever it is. Whatever your makeup is of your physical characteristics, your, your personality, the, the way you act, the way you think, all those things are, are on your, your genetic code. And, and that's determined by your parents. So your parents, they come together, and then you're a product of your mom and dad. And so what happens when you get born again, God rewrites your genetic code. You actually get a genetic code that's not like the one that you started with. John says in 1 John 3, 9, I'll come back to this verse in a minute. He says, no one who has been born of God practices sin because, look at this, his seed remains where? So God's seed remains in you. When you've been born again, God literally puts his seed in you. And if you remember back in, in Genesis where God said, God created this and God created that, it said everything produced after its own kind, right? That, that this seed produced this, so that fish produced fish. And trees produce trees, and camels produce camels. Well, guess what God's seed produces? God-like character. God-like nature. See, the Amplified says it this way in the next, next slide. 
It says God's nature abides in him, his principle of life. The divine sperm remains permanently within him because he's born of God. God literally injects his DNA into your nature. So that the way you used to be is not the way you are now. The person that, that you used to be when you become born again, that code gets rewritten. God's nature is in you. See, that's why you can go to verses like 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It says, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation, an unprecedented one, something brand new, something that's never existed before. That when you're in Christ, when you've been born again, you're new. You're brand new. You've got a new code. You've got a new DNA. It says everything about the old you has passed what? It's gone. Behold, all things have become new. Let's go to the next slide. Look at this. A lot of people want to define you by what you used to do and the life you used to live, but listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor those habitually drunk, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. All right, don't feel condemned, okay? Such were some of you. It means you used to be that. But you were washed. That means he cleansed you completely. You were sanctified. That means he set you apart. And you were justified. That means you stand completely innocent before God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. So he says, hey, that may have been the old you, but the new you is washed. It's clean. You are forgiven. Set apart, sanctified. God's got a purpose for you. And you can stand holy, innocent, just, right before God. See, justification literally means it's just like as if you never sinned. So if you have done any of those things, when you're born again, it's as if they never existed. That's good news. The second thing, new desires. We're going to go through these pretty quick. All right, also in 1 John. Oh, if you have God, okay, so wouldn't this make sense? If you've got God's nature in you, then you'll desire the same things God does, right? If you literally, if you truly have God's nature in you, then my desires should mirror God's desires. Fair statement? Are you guys out there? Hey, you here. All right, so what's that look like? Well, first of all, if I have God's nature in me and I, I, I'm going to desire what He desires, I'm going to love the things that He loves and I'm going to hate the things that He hates. If I truly have the nature of God in me, so what does God love? We know that God says, this is my beloved Son. God loves Jesus. Remember we sang that song earlier? It says, Jesus, I adore you. See, if, if you truly have a new nature, you're going to have a love for Jesus like you've never had. You're also going to have a desire to live a holy life. That's not a popular thing to say anymore. But there's going to be a desire in you to start doing things the right way. There's also going to be a desire in you to share Jesus with other people. Because if he did it for me, let me tell you what he can do for you. Let me show you a couple of verses. It says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is what? 
born of God, same word, and everyone who loves him who also uh, loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. So he's like, if you've been born of God, then you're going to love God. You're going to love Jesus. Matter of fact, you're going to love the people sitting next to you. And he says, if you don't, then maybe it's not in there. I want you to be secure in your salvation. I really do. But if the desires haven't changed, then i got to wonder if there was really a true change to start with. So he says that you're going to love God and you're going to love people who have been born of God. Next. Look at this. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness has also been born of Him. No one who has been born of God practices sin because his sin remains Him and he cannot sin continually because he's been born of God. See, if you've been truly born again, you're going to have a desire to do what's right and not do what's wrong because that's God's nature. Now, does that mean you're not going to mess up? No. I mess up all the time. I mess up all the time. But... I don't want to live that way. My desire is to live righteously. And because I've been born again, I've been made righteous, I'm going to do righteous things. And because I've been born again and been made righteous, I'm going to not want to do bad things. That's God's nature in me. And if I have a desire to continually live in habitual sin, then I've got to wonder, have you really been born again? Because if you're truly born again, it says that you won't live in habitual sin. There's going to be a desire to tell people about Jesus because he is the difference maker. He really is. All right, last. Next slide. No identity. We're going to close with this. All right, so John says in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it says, but some, does it say some? What's it say? As many, as many. As many as received him, to them gave he the right or the power or privilege to become what? Children of God. To those that believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. When you become born again, and when you're born new, you actually have a relationship with God. You have a relationship with God that you never had before. You become one of his children. That's your identity. That's who you are. You're God's children. So a lot of people say, well, we're all God's children. No, we're not. That's not true. Because if we were all God's children, we'd be all going to heaven, but we're all not going there. God wants you to. It said God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what he wants. You don't become a child of God until you put your faith in Jesus. And here's what it says. It says that you weren't born by the will of man, the will of the flesh, of blood, or the will of man. Which means this. Your parents can't wish you and will you into that relationship. Your parents could have been the two best Christians on the face of the earth. They could have taken you to church as a kid. They could, have, they could have done all the right things. They prayed with you before you went to bed. But that doesn't make you a believer. 
That doesn't make you a new creation. It can only be done when you put your faith in what Jesus did. Not on your efforts, not on your works, not on all your good. It's not about your good being more than your bad. It's strictly what he did. You're participating in the work that he did so that you can have new life. So I'll end with this quote by Reinhard Bonnke. Reinhardt was a German-American evangelist, predominantly missionary evangelist to Africa, but I like what he says. He says, God has no grandchildren. He only has children. So being a born-again Christian is not an automatic thing. See, you can't become a grandchild of God because your parents were children of God. You're not a grandchild of God. There's only one line in that lineage. Every one of them goes straight to God. Children, 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 children. You can't skate in because of your mom and dad or your brother and sister or your best friend or your spouse or anybody else. You have to decide. And so when you're, I want you to consider this today. You know, it says in the Bible, it says that when you've been born again, you have a witness of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's actually in you telling you that, hey, you belong to God. And so I just want you to ask you to bow your head right now. We're going to close. I'm going to pray for you. I don't want anybody looking around. Because this, this is honestly really, this is serious. This is between you and God. It's not about the person that you're sitting with or that it's in your row or anything else. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? Now, I want to tell you this while your heads are bowed. Some people say if you can't remember the day that you were born again, uh, that's not in the Bible. You're going to remember the experience. It also relates being, being saved to, to being married. You may not remember the day, but you're going to remember the experience of, of getting married, somebody moving in with you. And so if you don't remember the exact day, that's okay. But you're going to know that there was a day that you said yes to Jesus, and he made you new. I want you to think, do, do I have a new nature? Have my desires changed? Has there been a difference in my life? And can I truly call myself a child of God and know that I know that I know? If you can't, I want you to look up at me right now. I just want you to look up here. I want everybody's head bowed, but if you don't know that, I want you to look up at me. Just look at me right now. If you don't know that you're a child of God, I want you to look up. I see a couple people. Thank you. Thank you. Here's what I want to do. If you've, never, if you've never made this certain or you're not sure, I'm just going to lead you in a quick prayer. And you can be sure today. Just pray this to yourself. Father God, I realize that I'm a sinner. And I realize that Jesus paid for my sin. And I accept him as my Lord and Savior. And I make him Lord of my life today. making me your child. In Jesus' name. All right, let's stand up. 
All right, if you prayed that prayer today, I'm going to ask you to do that. I had a couple people look at me. If you prayed that prayer today, I want you to make your way to the front right now. Step out of the aisle. I want you to come on down in front right now. I want to pray for you privately. Come on down if you prayed that prayer today. Anybody else prayed that prayer today? You want to join this gentleman up here this morning? You want to make it public? God says, if, if, Paul says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's making a public confession, saying, I, I, I want to make Jesus Lord. All right, let's just thank God today for this one that's given his heart. Father God, I just thank you today for your word. Lord, that, that we know right now that there's excitement in heaven, that there's been another one born into the kingdom. Father, I pray right now that you would cement this decision, that your Holy Spirit would fill him, bear witness to his spirit, just to let him know that you now belong to me. And you're in the kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness today and your provision for us. In Jesus' name.